Marketing automation is big business, and with about 7,000 platforms out there, it's super competitive. Today, I'm talking to Shay Howe from Active Campaign about how they use human-centered design to stay ahead of the pack. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out more at NineLabs.com. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Design Driven. I'm super excited to have Shay Howe on the program today. He is the VP of Product Design at Active Campaign. He's also the co-founder of a company called Lead Honestly and uh, does a lot more than that, too. Um, I'm eager to hear what he's up to these days. So, Shay, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a while since we were actually in the same room together. I, I was up in Chicago a couple of years ago at a conference, and I think we connected then. And so I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, what's happened since then in your world and what you're working on today. So, yeah, it it has been a while. We need to catch up soon. <laughs> well, we're here now, so let's do it's it. It's true. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The today it's um, leading uh, design, front end development, and marketing at Active Campaign. Um, and then in what little free time is left, uh, leading a small startup called Lead Honestly, um, both of which keep me incredibly busy. Awesome. So for those of you who don't know about Active Campaign, um, marketing automation, email marketing, um, landing pages, a couple other things kind of in that vein. Um, can you talk a little bit about what Active Campaign does and then how you um, help make that product better? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Active Campaign is focused on small businesses uh, and specifically helping them <clears throat> um, meaningfully connect and engage with their customers. Uh, and kind of the core way we do that is providing them tools around sales and marketing automation. Um, and that includes, you know, having a CRM and integrating different data sources to that and then taking that data to perform different actions on that. Uh, actions of which that allow you to connect with your customers at different times in that customer lifecycle uh, that could then drive further in-person conversations uh, or other meaningful um, interactions that you could have with them. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good mix, very fast growing business. Uh, Headcount around here continues to scale as does revenue. Um, but for me, it's, it's getting back to the small businesses is um, something I've done a lot in my career. I was at Groupon for a while, working a lot with small businesses. Uh, Belly, another startup after that, again, focused on kind of marketing tools for small businesses. So. Uh, I see them as the backbone of, of the economy and, and where a lot of the real innovation happens. So uh, what gets me up and excited is continuing to work with them, frankly. Yeah, cool. So can you talk a little bit about um, the, the team that you're working with? Like what composition of skill sets? Like how do, you, how do you go about building product? Are you guys using Agile or you know, what's, what's the process from, hey, I think we should put this in the app to it's actually shipped and people are using it? Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, as, as any org, I would say the process is always changing. Um, and I'd say that, you know, the process, frankly, probably even changes down to which team and what problem they're solving. Um, but at the heart of it is staying as close to our customers as we can. Um, and that's like one of the, I'd say the wild things about Active Campaign is just how, how strong our customer base is and the advocates we have within it. So uh, we have over 60,000 customers. Um, and we have wildly active groups. So we have a Facebook group uh, with a few thousand people in it. 
uh, of which are talking to one another every single day of questions they have. Uh, uh, could be around marketing or sales uh, or even how our tool works. Uh, so our ability to connect with them and, and like access their information or, or, or problems they're having uh, is, is, you know, abundant, frankly. Um, <clears throat> we have a private Slack group for those customers as well. Um, and we even set up like on our design and product teams using Active Campaign uh, ways to connect with them. So we have a <clears throat> basically an Active Campaign account um, to which a lot of our customers are tagged based off of the features and functionality of our tool they use. Uh, and whenever we have a question, whenever we're working on a part of our application and we want to learn a bit more, you know, we can send out a message and create a segment of that audience to connect with. Uh, and even like directly to our design team. So our design team uh, can basically create a segment, send an email, uh, and that's all connected via Calendly to basically allow these customers to start scheduling their own user interviews. Um, and it's kind of wild because sometimes I'll, you know, I'll sit down with the designer in the morning and say, hey, like, what's your day look like? How's it going to go today? Uh, and they're like, oh, I have two customer calls like I, I didn't actually know about. Uh, they kind of scheduled themselves. Uh, so I'm going to research them and then dig into those calls. Um, so it's kind of a, a beautiful way that we're able to use our own tool to, to queue up a lot of like the front side of that process of, you know, how are we going to actually connect with our customers to see, you know, what problems they're facing and, and where they're trying to grow with our product. Once, yeah. So talk about dog food. Like you're, you're actually using your product to build your product. Yeah. I mean, and like, honestly, like <clears throat> the entire company does like our entire marketing team. So I receive marketing. Um, the tool we use is active campaign, right? Like that is our email marketing tool. That's our automation tool. Um, that's how we run a lot of things. Our entire sales team, uh, that's an 80 person sales team all running off of active campaign CRM. Uh, our sales and like support success teams are all in active campaign every single day. Yeah, so I'm curious about the balance between internal needs that, that you have as an organization using your platform and what you're hearing from customers and how you make decisions on the direction of the product. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question because I think that balance is shifting. Um, so we, you know, I've been here a little over a year, I think maybe a year and a half now. And, um, you know, when I joined, I think I was in the, that 100 person range uh, of joining. We are now over 350 people uh, and continuing to grow. So I would say, uh, our needs, frankly, of what that tool was when I joined, uh, were pretty close, pretty applicable to the businesses we work with every day on that, that small, medium-sized business side. Um, but we're getting much larger than that, right? So our needs are, are stretching the tool a bit uh, in terms of what we might want or what we might need might not match that of someone who runs an e-commerce store or someone who runs uh, you know, a lawn care services business. So uh, we can take our needs and listen to them to some degree, uh, but we have to put our customer needs first, uh, first and foremost. So fortunately, we, we, you know, we have that sales team. We have a good support success team to connect with those customers too. Uh, and a lot of times when it comes into making a decision, we have to be careful of saying like, hey, like, this is certainly what we would like and how we would use this. But where do we see the customers using that? And what type of feedback have we gotten, both positive uh, or negative, around how some of our products or interactions work? Uh, and what might we change based off their feedback, not necessarily just ours? Right. Right. And it's interesting that you have um, or your customers have the ability to schedule their own kind of discovery calls with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's one where it's targeted, right? Like we know who we're kind of going to be speaking with based off of, uh, let me give you an example of like what that could be. So um, we've been doing a lot of work around our, our CRM um, and understanding, you know, we're, we're adding some features and functionality around how to create different groups of fields. Uh, so if you have a, contact in your database, you might want to group different fields for that contact around, could be contact information, could be um, 
purchase history, could be application interactions, things like that. Um, so we're adding that interaction of what that could be. Um, you know, we're adding the ability to create some custom fields there within. Uh, so just introducing different types of interactions and ways to organize your data. So for us, it's one of, all right, well, let's find everyone who's using this today. Uh, and we, you know, we have tags around like who is actually using that. Um, and we can basically queue up an email sent to them that says, hey, you know, this is what we're working on. Here are some of the questions we have. Like, would you be up for talking to someone from our team, uh, you know, playing around with some prototypes of different designs uh, and engaging with us on how we can improve this feature and functionality, knowing that it's something you care about. Right, right. So when you get that feedback from, from customers, like there's, there's, you said you have 60,000 customers <clears> who <throat> obviously have different needs. Yeah. What is your process for deciding what's going to make it into the app based on all that customer feedback? Like how do you rank what's going to actually make it into the app? Yeah. So that's where the balance comes in. Cause it honestly, something that is not what they always ask for. Um, some of that is, is taking that data, that understanding of what they're saying. Um, but pairing it with honestly a little bit of our gut and understanding where we believe the market's going and what that looks like. Um, I'd say some of the more innovative things we've done uh, weren't necessarily like data specifically driven. Uh, I think they were data influenced and informed. Um, but for us, it's understanding, like we understand what that data is telling us and where it is, <clears throat> but how do we actually take a step back uh, and rather than just solely making a decision based off that data, where do we look at innovation? Where do we look at what technology is just now providing and making available to where we might be able to change an experience, uh, interaction, feature functionality to create an even better outcome for that customer, right? And what their actual end goal is versus simply just looking at what we know or where we stand today. Right. So it, it sounds like, um, you know, you're trying to intuit what the next step is before the customer actually understands, you know, what the solution is that, that um, that they need, right? They come to you with a pain point yep. and you figure out how to solve that pain point. Um, and it might be similar to the way that they suggest you solve it, but it might be completely different. Absolutely. Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, maybe it's cliche, but like he's just saying, like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, yep. right? So it's, it's, is it nails? Is it a screw? Is it something different? Is there, is there different adhesive out there that we don't know about yet? Right. Right. Well, and it kind of reminds me of the, you know, the, the famous Steve Jobs story about the iPod, right? Like people didn't want mm -hmm. an iPod. They wanted uh, a way to keep, you know, to have their music with them. Yeah. Um, they wanted a better Walkman basically. Yeah. And like, that's the idea of like, <clears throat> you know, if you follow the data and just like use the data, you, you might get to the top of a hill uh, and be the best on that hill. But are you standing on the wrong hill, right? Like, is there a mountain behind you that you could be climbing? Right. Um, and, and, you know, how do we find the balance between those two? Yeah. And so solving the right problem is kind of the, the first foundational step. Yep. Yep. You got it. Yeah. So we talk a lot of, in my business, we talk a lot about kind of these five phases of work from, from you think you've got an idea or you see a need in the market. Like how do you validate that that need actually exists for enough people? And then how do you prototype to make sure that what you, um, you know, whatever idea you have for, for um, solving that need is actually functional. So can you talk a little bit about your prototyping process and how you test to make sure that the things that you're doing are actually delivering good outcomes? Yeah, yep, for sure. So part of that is, um, you know, usually we'll get a hunch, we'll get some feedback, um, we'll experience something ourselves that tells us that there's an area of opportunity to improve here. Um, and for us, that's, it's kind of like understanding and digging in more on that research side. So um, just building more empathy around what what is that problem? Uh, when do people experience that problem? 
how are they solving it? How are they getting around it? Um, you know, is that a problem fundamentally worth solving, right? Can we dig into that? Um, and then there's, I think, a bit of like definition around more of what that problem is, right? And getting a core understanding of what those could be. Um, and then it kind of becomes that, that divergent thinking of, all right, well, let's, let's go through the different options of what this could be. Um, and that, you know, how we do that could vary. That could be on a whiteboard across a, a team of designers, engineers, product managers, uh, could be the design team alone, could be a designer and their product manager, uh, could be a healthy mix of their in between, but um, divergent convergent thinking. So let's, let's come up with a handful of different ideas. Um, let's see how rapidly we could do that. Uh, and then let's start to pull those together and, and build prototypes around the ones that we think are going to be the best, right? Where we think that thought will actually play out. Um, and doing that, honestly, at probably the lowest fidelity we can, uh, for where we're at, we, you know, we have a pretty strong design system. So admittedly, a lot of those prototypes actually end up looking at a decent fidelity. Um, but it's, it's about measuring the investment we're putting in the design uh, versus the outcome we're looking to get from it. Uh, and knowing at that stage that the goal isn't to have a finalized design, but to be directly moving in the right way of what could be the actual interaction, the process, um, the product to come from it, and addressing some of that visual side later. Um, right. And then it's, you know, it's connecting with those customers and kind of taking that out there, um, getting their understanding of, you know, probably more importantly, is the interactions correct? Is our copy on, on target? Um, are we thinking about this even in the right way before we put too much investment into other areas of the design? Um, and that's a series of conversations, uh, be it in person, uh, be it on Zoom calls or what have you, uh, just to connect with those customers uh, and just really playing through the test of what that is uh, and if this is going to work and where do we need to iterate? Like, where do we have to go back into that ideation phase? Uh, and was there anything we left on on the floor of that room that might be coming into play now to basically adjust on? Sure, yeah. So what kind of uh, formal tools or processes are you using in that, in that prototyping phase where you're doing divergent thinking, like I know whiteboards and that kind of thing, but are you yeah. using the other kind of more formalized tools to kind of codify those ideas and to measure and, and to, to, to get alignment on what you are and are not going to do? Yep. Yeah. I'm, we, we use Envision pretty heavily around what that is. Um, it's just in terms of creating a, a prototype we can kind of click around with and play with. Um, others will do different things and we have a plethora of tools just kind of depending on what that actually is or what we're trying to prove. Um, so on the mobile side, we'll use slightly different tools uh, just to have more uh, resemblance of what are the, I'll say, animations and interactions more native to the device. Um, because those small details could play a decent part in actually creating a stronger understanding of the problem we're solving, uh, or at least the experience to it. So uh, Envision's probably like first and foremost the one we dig into. Cool. Uh, what about things like um, empathy maps and experiment grids and hypothesis grids and those kinds of things? <clears throat> we do, yeah. I mean, it's honestly, like I can't say like any one stands out, frankly. Um, it really all kind of just depends on like what is that problem uh, how big of a problem is it? And, and what do we know about it to date? Um, sometimes things are, are relatively quick, simple, and easy, and we can, we can dive into, um, we can even launch them and frankly test and iterate from there. Uh, or are we going somewhere bigger, right? Are we, are we doing something that might be um, not quite a moonshot, but something that is an entirely new piece of functionality that hasn't existed before? Um, then that's going to be understanding of, all right, let's, let's pull together some, some more personas, uh, understanding what that is, 
let's do the note and vote, right? Like, let's get out different ideas. Let's map those. Let's kind of do some dot voting towards those. Um, putting those different ideas together around what it is. Right. So um, then the next phase, like once you've got some confidence in, in what you're going to build, is building it and releasing it. Um, how do you go about testing to make sure that um, what you've released is actually solving customers' problems? Yeah. We, we have a lot of access to data around here, which is fantastic. So um, we have a big data warehouse. We have a number of different tools that are basically ETL'd into that. Uh, and we have Looker that sits on top of that. So uh, before we really like launch anything or we you know understand where we're going, we think about what is success for that. So uh, what behaviors are we trying to increase uh, by what percentage within what time frame? Um, and that can look like a handful of different things. It could be, um, you know, we're going to do something different than design. So uh, the goal isn't necessarily to increase usage, but not to lose usage or things like that. Um, and we can basically structure out what that is and create uh, dashboards in Looker, um, that of which are publicly accessible to our team, um, and even create basically reports on that to have that data sent to us on a, a daily or weekly cadence. So we know, you know what we're doing, kind of where that's trending, uh, and able to make decisions pretty quickly in the tune of what that is if we need to update or you know, iterate there within. Nice. Um, where do you um, where do you see teams seeing a, a benefit from these processes? Like how how have using the processes that you're using there um, accelerated innovation, or um, what what other kind of impact has, has has the team had as a result of using this process? It's a really good question. Uh, I like you know there's anytime you kind of get into something, there's always just numbers of questions around is this right? Will this work? What does this mean? Um, and you can, you know, there's a lot of nebulous things that happen, I think, in, in just product development as a whole. Um, and by having a process, we, you know, we kind of trust, um, and by trusting one another, probably more so than the process, and we have more tolerance for risk. Um, the ability to try something, to know that that's not, you know, uh, to be set in stone, that we'll come back to that if that doesn't work. Uh, and that, you know, we are continually taking these small steps um, in that, we will iterate on everything we're always doing. Um, I think the team sees that and is willing to basically put more at risk because of that. So they're willing to take bigger chances because it's, it's kind of safe to fail and learn from this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And well, and it's like, it's not one of, we have to get this perfect because we're never coming back to it. Right. Um, right. It's, it's that scenario of, we think this is good enough. Um, and let's just get it out there. Let's try this. Uh, and knowing that, we could spend more time trying to perfect this, um, but 80-20 rules apply, right? Like that last 20% could take 80% of the time. So maybe we don't have to worry about it. Maybe we just put it out there and, you know, let the iteration there happen from the feedback we get and the usage we actually see of it uh, versus what we believe it could be or trying to dig in and research that ourselves. Yeah, and that's kind of counterintuitive to the way that a lot of people have thought about making products and software for mm -hmm. you know, the past couple of decades is, is you have to ship it and it has to be good and, um, you know, that you can't go back and, and change it again later. So I'm, I'm curious like, what your experience has been and your team's experience around the reception that customers have with that kind of more iterative approach. Like what, what, how do they feel about things being um, good enough? Yeah. I think it depends on like who your customer is, you know, in my experience like that, you know, that can vary uh, based off their tolerance for things like that. Um, and then, you know, what is their awareness or familiarity with like your culture as an organization too? And what do they expect? Um, 
you know, Active Campaign lives in this marketing technology space, right? Martech. Um, there are, I think, no less than 7,000 other companies operating in that space. Um, so there, there is an expectation of innovation to happen there. Uh, and that like, we need to be continually evolving our tool and how it works. Because uh, if we're not, there's 7,000 other people trying to do that. Um, and we can see a direct correlation between like our number of iterations uh, and the way we grow and change the product, even in the smallest ways, in how our community reacts to that, how our customers uh, grow, what impacts churn, all of that. Um, so I think we've, we've done a lot to actually kind of condition our customers to understand that that's how we operate um, and that things may not always be perfect, but we are also always listening. Um, and the ability to reach us, to connect with us is always there. So right. I, I think that's like been tremendous uh, value to our organization. Can you maybe talk a little bit about um, like the iterative nature of building product? Like it's like you're, you're constantly going back and listening to the customers and you're constantly making incremental improvements to the app. So I think a lot of, of legacy software was written in a very linear fashion. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, things have changed. So, so what does that iteration or that looping process, that, that cycle look like for you? Yeah, it's, you know, it could vary based off of the team and kind of where they're at. Um, you know, we have a new product we've been working on uh, the last few months uh, and that of which we kind of privately invited a few folks to get into what we're, like we call an alpha release um, and our team, be it, you know, the engineers, the designers, the product managers had weekly calls with those customers individually to see how is it going? How are they liking it? Um, what does that look like? Uh, and quickly adjusting, right? Like quickly actually changing the product and what that was uh, and the sprints there were basically reflecting what that customer feedback was to iterate on. Um, we've since opened that up into more of like a public beta with our existing customers um, and same things happening there, right? So uh, it's a bit more broadcast signal with more customers in there to try and get their feedback in versus like that one-to-one touch of having individual calls with those alpha customers. Um, but again, continually to basically drive our iterations and sprints based off the feedback we're getting. Um, be it big and small things, right? It could be as small as, hey, this setting is a little confusing uh, in terms of how I turn on and off this property or value. Uh, Or, you know, I really wish the product implemented uh, this core piece of functionality that looks like it's missing and could be a reminder of some sorts or something like that. Um, You know, to where we, you know, then have to look at it and say, right, well, is that, is the investment in that worth the the outcome from it? or not and then kind of work with the customer to see, well, how important is that to them? Do others feel that way and what, what it might be. Um, but it's, it's honestly keeping like a continual ear um, and closeness to those customers. Yeah. And so sometimes it might take more iteration. Sometimes it might take fewer, um, but ultimately what's your measurement for when something is ready to ship? Uh, that's a really good question. It honestly should be far earlier than we are comfortable with. Uh, frankly, right? Like yep. the idea of we should be a bit embarrassed about this. Um, I think we've gotten decent at that because um, that's also like a, a rolling scale of um, you become just more tolerable with being embarrassed. So thus then what you're embarrassed about becomes far less, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but also, so then it's, you know, where, where do you cross that, that bridge of, well, this is no longer valuable either. Right. Um, so for us, it's, sorry, go ahead. 
I was gonna say, yeah, you run the risk, you know, if, if you're constantly shipping stuff where you're a little bit embarrassed and that line changes, right? The, the, the demarcation between this is good enough and this isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. You run the risk of shipping, of shipping something that's bad. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, so how do you stay aware of, of where that, that line of quality is? Like, do you have internal standards or is it something that's just kind of, you do it by the seat of your pants? Yeah. I mean, like we, we have an MPS survey, um, which is like a metric of what that could be. Um, so basically every Monday I'm getting a report of what that is. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think that like that's inherently true around like specifically what a team's working on. I wouldn't say that, um, you know, the person or the designer on our uh, campaigns team is going to look at the MPS score and figure out, you know, what they need to do that day or how that might change some of their practice or behavior. Um, you know, the things I will spend a lot of time actually looking at will be, um, you know, what, like, what are our communities saying, be it on Facebook, Twitter, uh, other avenues. Um, I look at our churn results every single morning and evening. Uh, so I'll obviously uh, wake up, look at like what churn is. So any customer that leaves us, um, I get a notice of who it was, what they're basically, uh, what the revenue was that we lost, uh, and then any reason they provided. Um, and you, you'll see some of that in there, right? Could be um, design feedback in there of, uh, you know, the, the UI was difficult or uh, I couldn't figure out how to understand this um, or this part of the product I, I found some hiccups on. Um, and as I go through those, I will basically connect those designers um, into those survey results to, to sync up with that customer to figure out, you know, let's get a bit more feedback on, you know, where did they find that problem uh, or, or hit a struggle there um, and dig in. But I think, you know, more broadly, like we're, we probably lean more towards like, I'm going to say being embarrassed and not, uh, and not really like overthinking or overdoing it. Um, cause that, that can become a bit of a trap, right? Like we can get stuck in that cycle and that will never end. So, um, you know, we might be releasing new automations into our marketplace. Uh, and there's a lot that goes into that, right? Like you, you need to have a description, a title, an image, like all these assets that even just support what the automation is. Should we wait to release those, you know, those automations until we have the perfect image? Um, and how much time should we invest in that image, right? So for us, it's can we define a process that allows us to create, you know, um, a template of those images that allows us to scale those quickly so that we can release more automations quickly. Uh, and they might not be custom images per every single automation, but they look good enough. Um, they're easily identifiable, right? Like we've put some level of effort into uh, what is the taxonomy behind those? Uh, and can we release those quicker than not and then adjust later? Um, so it's finding like, what is the process that allows us to be a bit more risky around that too? Yeah, so it sounds like, um, you know, part of that is intended to to move as quickly as possible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a story I tell, um, and you may have actually seen, I may have told the story in the talk at the at that, that conference in Chicago about the flight from New York to London, about those, there's typically 9,000 course corrections over the course of that flight. Yeah, yep. And the passengers don't know, but the pilots and the autopilot systems, you know, are constantly adjusting course. So it, it's almost like you want to try to make the tiniest little mistake possible to learn from it, to make sure that you're, you're keeping the, the product vision going the right direction. Yep. Yeah. And one of the big things that we think about too is um, honestly like doing things in the face of uncertainty. So uh, there's a lot of things that we might have questions about uh, that we might want to research a bit further that we might want to dig into the data behind, um, but you have to kind of weigh out and say, you know what, like 
what is the time and investment to get the additional information around this to kind of resolve what are the, say, known unknowns um, versus just trying this, right? And what, what's our tolerance for allowing that to, to get done and be released and then fix the mistake afterwards? Um, and how big or how you know, jeopardizing would it be to fix that later? And I think more times than not, when we look at it, to come back to it, to try and fix it later, to, to course correct after more feedback, um, is easier than, than we really think. Um, and it, it doesn't have as great as like an impact or negative perception than like one might perceive. Um, I think we take a lot of pride in our work. We can also confuse our own self-worth with our work. Um, and if we learn to separate that a little bit, uh, we're able to move a bit faster, um, might create a little bit of chaos. Um, but I think we're able to create more innovation around doing that too. Yeah. And so that, that's a tough balance, right? Is, is you've got a hunch about, uh, something that's going to solve a customer's problem. You, you've gone through some prototypes, you've got something out and you've got some data, but you it's not definitive. Like you mm -hmm. don't absolutely know. So you kind of just have to kind of take the leap and hope that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's okay. Like I, I you know, I'm always kind of pushing the design team um, to, to continually kind of expand those bounds too. Right. Uh, and honestly, like counterintuitive, but if everything we designed got built, I would say we're probably doing it wrong. Like we're not actually pushing hard enough to be as innovative as a company as what we could be. Uh, and that we should be designing a lot, sharing it with our customers, walking them through it and finding out what doesn't work and just leaving it on the bench. Right. Uh, but one of those, like one of the 10 is probably going to hit and be something no one else has ever thought of. Uh, and because we pushed ourselves, because we stretched ourselves a bit, that, you know, that's where we found a real good breakthrough. Yeah, no, I love that quote. Yeah. Um, well, this has been super helpful. Um, the one last thing I wanted to, to chat with you about um, is, uh, you know, what's going on with, with Lead Honestly. You know, that's... Um, from my understanding, it's an initiative to help teams work better together. So can you talk a little bit about that and um, what you've seen in terms of, of how to get a, a design or development or a product team like firing on all cylinders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Lead Honestly is a tool uh, focusing on one-on-one -on -one meetings. So uh, that meeting that uh, a team member has with their manager. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in a number of basically high growth uh, organizations. Uh, and one of which where I've seen my team scale uh, quite quickly. And one of the things that I have found so critical into all of how teams work is just building a foundation of trust and what that actually is. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is through those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time in that conversation uh, really wanting to kind of understand how, how a team members feeling, right? Uh, are things going well for them? Are they not? Are they stressed? Um, it's not a status update. <clears throat> I'm not too concerned or, or wanting to understand, you know, what are they working on and um, what's next? I think we have other avenues for that and we can connect on that elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> but I also don't want to walk into that meeting every time and say, how are you feeling? Because um, our, our work is difficult. We're moving fast. We have a lot going on. Uh, and generally speaking, that answer becomes the same after about a month. Um, the answer is things are pretty good, could be improved in some areas, but I understand that, you know, those are areas in which, you know, we might not be able to improve today, but yeah, things are okay. Um, and at that point, like our relationship isn't growing. We're not developing any further trust or understanding of who one another are or essentially how to work better together. Um, 
So what I've done, um, you know, with, uh, with a good friend, Darby, is let's come up with some questions uh, and then walk into every one-on-one with those questions. Um, and, you know, using a little automation, uh, let's send those questions to our team members ahead of time, uh, to which when we walk into that meeting, uh, they've been asked a series of questions that are kindling for a larger conversation, right? Like they are kind of those icebreakers, if you will. Um, and rather than asking, how are you feeling? Um, you know, they've been asked a question that's saying, um, who has done something on the team recently uh, that could use a bit more recognition? Or, uh, you know, what are you doing um, this week to help you grow uh, towards your goals? Or have you been working your best to make progress towards your goals or something like that? It's kind of changing the fundamentals of that question. Um, and by doing that, like, I've found that the conversations are always different, uh, always evolving, and thus then so are the relationships. Um, and a lot of those questions will, will tie team members together, right? So a question of who on the team uh, is really excelling but not getting the right recognition uh, allows me to, you know, perhaps see things that I can't see uh, and then go to that other team member and say, hey, you know, you know this is kind of what your team's saying about you. Like you're, you're doing a ton of great things. I just want to make sure you understand and, and receive that recognition. Um, so Lead Honestly is a, is a tool uh, that we've built kind of for ourselves uh, to do that. Um, but just in talking to other people kind of in the community and around what we were doing, uh, a lot of other folks are saying like, I, like, can I have your questions? Could I check that out? Like, what would that look like? Um, so we built a product around it. Uh, and it's been running for two years. Um, a number of organizations are using it, well over 100 at this point. Um, and all, like, it, it's kind of been really incredible just to see the different types of organizations that have joined and have really like let it grow quite organically. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of technology startups. There's a lot of nonprofits, um, you know, just very unique customer base at this point. Yeah. Cool. And I think that's one of the essential things that a lot of design teams overlook is the, you know, the personal dynamic around making sure that people feel like they're doing work that's rewarding mm -hmm. That, um, that, that the work is output is valuable and that their teammates actually, you know, like being around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so like, like I use lead honestly every single day at active campaign. Um, so my entire team's on there uh, answering questions. There's some surveys in there so I can understand the pulse and morale of the team. Um, and I like, honestly, like it has allowed us in, in short order to build pretty strong relationships. Um, and I think there's a, a lot of a positive intent that, that someone needs to assume in the type of environment and pace we're working at. Uh, and that's far easier if you trust one another. So yeah. uh, spending some time to actually have those conversations uh, to answer some more meaningful questions has allowed us to do that. And I can see that play out in the interactions across the entire team. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Shay, it's been great chatting with you today. I, I know you're busy and uh, probably got to get back to, to making products. So I'll let you do that. Um, thanks for spending some time with me and, um, and chatting about this stuff. It's fascinating to hear how, how things are working at Active Campaign and, and, and Lead Honestly. Um, if somebody wants to reach out and learn more about what you're doing, connect with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time and opportunity. Um, I am, I am Shea Howe basically everywhere. So uh, be it Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, ShayHow.com. Uh, you Google me, you shall find me. So, uh, and I, you know, I, I check all of it fairly regularly. So uh, yeah, however, however someone wants to reach out, I'm happy to chat. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, thanks again, man. Um, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. I'll be in Chicago uh, a little bit later this year. So maybe we can catch up and grab a coffee. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Please let me know. 
All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said. Good design is good business.